we have been studying our words, our speech, um, how it affects both the natural and how it affects the supernatural. And we began this month talking about inviting words. Say the person next to you, inviting words. This is the recap, inviting words. Uh, I saw some of you not participate, so don't think. Don't think I don't see it, all right? And so we're talking about inviting words and how important it is and how we want to, if we want to be like Jesus, we need to be looking for opportunities to invite people into the kingdom of God. We invite them to take a closer look at God. And we completed our summer cookout series yesterday. Raise your hand if you had a chance to check out one of the summer cookouts this summer. I'll thank you so much for being there. It was such a great time. We went to three different communities and we threw virtually a little uh, party in the, in the community. We had bounce houses and snow cones, and uh, we reached out to the people right there in that community with our inviting words. Now, the next week, we talked about thankful words um, and how they cure a heart that is discontent. Uh, the cure of a heart of discontentment, excuse me, is a grateful attitude. And so we are challenged about perspective. Do you remember we looked at those pictures and we saw, do you see a vase or do you see a face or do you see it all? And we looked at the perspective and we thought about how gratefulness is a perspective. And so we talked about thankful words. And then last week we dove deep into critical words versus encouraging words. And as Christ followers, we never want to be a vessel for discouragement because nothing kills courage more than criticism. Anybody out there agree with that? Nothing kills courage more than criticism. And I hope you had a chance to encourage someone this week. I hope you had a chance to encourage someone uh, with your words this week. In fact, if you didn't, I want you to turn to someone near you. Just Just turn right around and encourage them. Tell them something you like about them. If you're sitting by yourself, just encourage yourself this morning. Go ahead. Go ahead. Now, if you missed any of those weeks, you can check them out on the podcast, uh, which is through our website at eeriefirst.org. Now, today, we're going to cap off this series talking about faith-filled words. Now, sometimes the clearest way to understand a concept is to look at the antithesis of that thing. So by looking at the opposite we can see clearly what something is or isn't. And that's where I want to start today. I want to start with doubt, and I want to move us to faith. You okay with that? So doubt is the absence of faith. Doubt is the absence of faith. Doubt is the lack of confidence or assurance that God will keep his promises. So for example, God promises in Matthew 28, 20, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God promises in Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Isaiah 40, 29 promises, God will give strength to the weary and increase the power of the weak. James 4, 7 says, submit yourself to God, resist the enemy, and he will flee from you. Now, we could talk about the promises of God all day long, am I right? We could talk about the promises of God through this entire series, through this whole month, through this whole year. These promises I just mentioned and hundreds of others are signed, sealed, and delivered by God himself. And doubt is the lack of confidence or assurance that God will do what he promises he will do. And so in the scripture, there's this group of people who had forgotten the promises of God. In fact, uh, if this was happening in our day and age, they would probably make a reality TV show out of this, because that's what they do about everything. 
And this particular group of people would be the perfect cast. I thought that would be funnier. Okay. All right, good, good, good. Now we see it happening in Numbers 13. The Israelites are stuck between the promised land and the wasteland. They're stuck between the promised land and the wilderness, the wasteland, and they are knee deep in doubt. They can't move forward. Maybe you're here this morning and the promises of God feel very far away. That's how the Israelites felt. The days were dark, the days were hard. I don't know about you, but I've been in seasons like that before. So maybe you can identify with the Israelites. And we see in Numbers 13 that faith is so important and doubt is so detrimental that God places regular tests of faith in front of his children. And these tests, they're not intended for failure. God isn't trying to to trip us up or set it up and tee up the ball so he can see you miss the shot. These tests are all for success. They're all set up so that we can succeed. And so we see this happening with the children of Israel. They're about halfway through the journey. They're getting closer and closer to the promised land and they face a challenge. They face a test that is meant for their success. The land where they're headed is not vacant. In fact, if they want the promised land, they are going to have to fight somebody. If they want the promised land, there's gonna be some conflict. There's gonna be some hardship. There's gonna be some war. Now, interestingly, with some study, when we look back um, on the journey of these people, we see in Deuteronomy 1 that Moses points out that God's plan A was that the Israelites would just go up and just take the land. That was plan A, that they would go up, they would see the enemy, they would keep marching, they would go in, and they would have victory. That is what God told them to do. But lack of faith paralyzed these people's feet And instead of walking and taking the victory that God promised them, they froze. And I want you to see it in Deuteronomy 1, verse 26. It records, but you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And then in verse 32, it says, when they rebelled in spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God. They didn't have enough faith in God to take the victory God had promised them. But you know what I love about this story? God doesn't write them off. Can anybody say thank you, Jesus? Thank you, God, that when we ignore the plan A, God says, okay, all right, all right. You know what? I love you so much. I'm going to give you another opportunity to trust me. I'm going to give you another opportunity to trust me. He gives them another opportunity to have faith. And I love how when it comes to Jesus, it's just the next plan A. Okay, you messed up plan A, we'll go to plan A. Then we'll go to plan A, and we'll go to plan A. And we see this in, in, in Numbers 13:1. God says, send in some spies to the land. They'll bring back a good report, and then your doubt will be reduced, and your faith will rise up, and you can cross into the land. It's as if God is saying, um, you're afraid of your future. Okay, come with me right now on this journey. You're afraid of your future, and God says, I'll just give you a little peek. And when you see yourself in your picket fence with your perfect three kids sitting there quietly, not making any messes, and you see how financially stable you are, you'll be like, oh, yeah, good, I'll just keep going. God says, I'm going to just give you a little taste, because then your faith will grow and your doubt will go down. 
And in Numbers 13, 3, Moses says, all right, I'll do that. And so up, he sends these spies, and up they go. And they get a sneak preview of the promised land. And God is so faithful to give this opportunity. And when the spies come back, the people have a choice. The people have a choice. They could go in faith and possess the land or be filled in doubt and go back to the wilderness. The people have a choice. And it's in effect, God is saying, are you going to trust me or doubt me? Are you going to trust me or doubt me? There's a choice to be made. There's a choice that is often made between the promised land and the wilderness. And I believe so much. Think about how life comes right down to that question so often. I am, I'm right here. Am I going to trust God or not? Am I going to trust God or not? I need a job. I need a better job. I need a job that has some kind of purpose so I don't wake up every day and dread going. Am I going to trust God to provide for me or not? My family is broken. My kids are far from God. My, my spouse is caught up in addiction. Am I going to trust God right here or not? I'm offended. I'm frustrated. Someone hurt me deeply. Someone that says that they're a Christian and they hurt me so bad. Am I going to trust God's promises or not? The thing about faith is you can't tell by looking at a person how much faith they really have. I'm actually going to ask some of my uh, my coworkers here to come up and help me. Pastor Steven, Pastor Adam, would you guys just come? Give these guys a round of applause. They're awesome. Appreciate them so much. They're going to help me with an illustration, okay? Um, so um, Adam is going to come over here. He's holding a bowl. It's a big bowl. He's a strong man, so it works out. He's holding a bowl. Now, can any of you see how much water is in this bowl? Anybody? These guys over here, they couldn't show them. No? Okay. All right, good. Okay, so how can we, t there's no way to tell. There's no way to tell you can see. But, but Pastor Steve, I was just asking you this this morning. How could we tell how much water Adam has in that bucket? How, <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? You're going you're gonna to push him a little bit. You're going to bump him. Challenge him. You're going to challenge him a little bit. And then we're going to be able to see how much water is in the bucket. I ain't afraid. All right. All right, well, let's see. Let's go ahead and, let's go ahead and see how, <laughs> how much water. Pastor Steve is like a professional wrestler. <laughs> and he's in charge of the carpet. So I thought this would be an okay illustration. All right, good. So, so what happens if you just shake him up? I mean, if, you just, if there's a little bit of shaking that happens. A little bit? Yeah, I don't know. A lot, a lot. I, all right, good. Anything else you want to do to him while you have the chance? No. Okay. All right, just stay right here for a minute. Faith inside a person is like this water bucket. You can't tell how much is in there until something shakes you up a little bit. I can't even move this guy. That's so wrong. Until something shakes you up a little bit, and then it splashes out, right? It splashes out. Thank you, guys. Give these guys a round of applause. When circumstances bump you, you spill what you're full of. When life shakes you up a bit, what's inside of you comes out. So if you're filled with faith, faith comes out. But if you're filled with doubt and circumstances bump you, doubt comes out. 
You have a bad quarter at work, sales are way off, bump, what spills? Doubt or faith? You get a, a report from the doctor that you didn't expect, what spills? Doubt or faith? Bumps are going to happen. God places regular tests of faith in front of his children, but the purpose of the test isn't to reveal your faith. It's to refine it. Because here's the truth. God doesn't test your faith so he can see how much is in there. He already knows. He tests your faith so you can know how much is in there. So you can know. And then once you know, it can refine your faith. Because here's the deal. He refines our faith because he loves us and he wants to bless us more and more. And every good thing God wants to give us comes through the funnel of faith. And so he says, let's refine this because I've got all these amazing things. I have this promised land for you to get into. But if you can't get that bucket of faith all up there and all, so it doesn't, so when Pastor Steve pushes you around, it splashes out faith. If you can't get that up there, when you get into the promised land, you're not going to have the faith you need to have everything I have for you. And so in Numbers 13, the spies, they come back, they give the report, they bring back fruit from the land, big, delicious fruit, and they prove, listen, this land, it's going to be magnificent, just like God said. But then there's this one spy that says, wait a minute. And the doubt just splashes all out of his bucket all over the whole bit of him. He says, listen, the people who live there are big. They look like Adam Blazik. <laughs> They're strong. Their cities are fortified. This will not be easy. This will be difficult. And whatever faith that physical fruit developed in the Israelites, the news about the struggle ahead allowed doubt to come in like a tidal wave. And faith sees opportunity, but doubt focuses on the obstacle. Faith sees the opportunity, but doubt focuses on the obstacle. And instead of the Israelites talking about all the ways that God had provided for them already, the manna and the, the quail and all of these things that God had done, they were sitting by the campfire, not recalling the miracles and the faithfulness of God, but they were focused on what they were afraid of. They were focused on the obstacles ahead. And in their conversation, in their lack of faith-filled words, they talked themselves again out of going to the promised land. Now, I have to say we do this so often as believers in Jesus. Someone sneezes near us and we go, I'm going to get the flu. I get the flu every time I'm about to go on vacation. I'm going to get the flu. I'm going to call the doctor and see if I can get something ahead of time because I know I'm going to get the flu every single time. No one's ever done that. I, that is, all right, there's no germaphobes out there. You hear a rumor, not your company, but the company next to your company is laying off some employees. So, oh, this is a story of my life. I might as well sell everything I have. I'm going to lose my job. The economy's bad. Mom, can I live in your basement? Right? I mean, we just go there. We go there, we go there, we go there, and instead of looking back and saying, oh, the faithfulness of God, when this happened before, he brought me out of this, he provided this. Instead of doing that, our words get us in this situation where we are just tumbling and tumbling in doubt. And you know what the truth is? We have lost the battle before it even started. We failed the faith test instantly, and doubt is just splashing all over the free world. 
And we are just standing there. Joyce Meyer is this well-known author and preacher, and she tells this story about how when she was a follower of Christ, um, excuse me, before she was a follower of Jesus, um, she was a smoker. And early on in her journey with Jesus, she would say to herself all the time, she got, she got saved, she believed in Jesus, and she was still smoking, and she would say, I, you know, I can like, change everything else about my life, but I, I know I can never quit smoking. That would be too hard. I'll gain a bunch of weight. That's what women are usually worried about. Um, I just, I'm not going to be able to do that. I'll just give everything else up, and I, will, I, I just won't be able to quit smoking. And these are the words from her blog. I want to read it to you. She said, thankfully... God was able to get through to me eventually and help me see that if I didn't change my confession, I wasn't going to change. And then he began to put desires in my heart to start, to start speaking what he wanted, not what I had. And I started saying things like, I can't stand to smoke. These things stink. They're expensive. I don't smoke anymore. And at first, I felt silly doing this because I would do it while holding the cigarette in my hand. <laughs> However, within about a week of changing my confession... I realized I now had the grace of God to quit smoking. And what I learned from this is I cannot rise above my own confession. And so what I want to really encourage you today is to start listening to what's coming out of your mouth. Because are you full of faith or are you full of doubt? And when we listen to what we're saying, we can hear where we're insecure. We can hear where we're bitter. We can hear where we're offended. We can hear where we're afraid. We can hear where we're jealous. And the thing about doubt is it takes over when we do nothing. Faith requires action. We gotta do something. Doubt will come in if you're not paying attention. Doubt will come in if you're on autopilot. Faith requires action. And so as a, as a body of believers today, I really believe we need to get focused and start speaking faith-filled words over our life, over our concerns, and over our family. And it's not the words that are going to change those circumstances. Hear me clearly. This isn't like the power of positive thinking, okay? Do you know what this is? Standing in, in faith right here, right now, God, am I going to trust you or am I going to doubt you? And standing there and saying, this is what's going to happen because I serve a God who is a promise keeper. And just saying that over and over and over. In fact, here's a great confession I want you to adopt today. Every day this week, I want you to say this, Lord, increase my faith. In fact, we say it right now, Lord, increase my faith. Lord, increase my faith. Help me look at things differently than I've ever looked at them. Now, I wish I could tell you that the children of Israel, in that moment, they turned the corner, they went into the promised land, raw, raw, and they took it, but I, I gotta say, that's not the case. That's not what happened. In fact, one of the ways that I know that the Bible is true is every story isn't wrapped up with a pretty bow and it works out like a fairy tale. These are real people experiencing a real God. And in Numbers 14 too, it says, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. And the Israelites stayed in the wilderness. They made a choice between faith and doubt and doubt kept them in their darkest night. So how do we develop promised land faith? How, how do we do it? How do we develop faith-filled vocabulary? Well, Hebrews 11.1 1 gives us an excellent definition of faith. I'm gonna read it to you from the King James Version today. It says, 
In fact, let's read it together. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I love these two words, substance and evidence. If you're gonna write anything down today, I want you to write down substance and evidence. Faith is a substance. Most people, um, they, lack, they, they look at faith and they say, well, it's not really a substance. It's like this kind of fluffy, like ethereal feeling I have. It's kind of hard to define. It's hard to, hard to grasp. But you know what? That's not true. We practice faith all the time in our reality. Let's say, let me just give you a hypothetical today. You leave here and you go home and you decide you don't want to cook lunch and you dial Pizza Hut and you order a large pepperoni pizza. If you want to have this example be Papa John's or Little Caesars, go ahead, you know, whatever you, whatever you want. All right, you order a large pepperoni pizza. In 20 minutes, you confidently know that pizza's coming, right? The substance of faith is the guy on the phone who you've never met in your whole life and probably won't, said, okay, great, see you in 20 minutes. And you're gonna get exactly what you ordered. Now, how many of you sit around at home in those 20 minutes thinking, I don't know if he's going to come. I don't know if he's going to bring me what I want. He might bring mushroom. Mushrooms are the worst. Maybe I'll preheat the oven. What am I going to cook? What am I going to cook? What am I going to cook if he doesn't show up? Maybe he's not going to show up. Anybody do that? No. If we're being really honest with ourselves this morning, we have more faith in Amazon and Verizon and Walmart and the city bus driver than we do in the creator of the universe that he's gonna show up. Faith is a substance. You take to prayer something you need before God and in active confidence, in active confidence, you, you hold on to God while you wait to see how the Lord is going to answer what you've brought before him. You take that painful circumstance in your life and you ask God to change that or change you and your faith is the substance you hold on to while you wait for God to do the things that he always does. You don't have to make a plan B. You don't have to preheat the proverbial oven. All you have to do, you don't have to figure out what you're gonna do if God doesn't show up. All you have to do is sit there and, and, and believe that he's gonna come, he always will, he always has, and he is the promise keeper. Faith is a substance, it's a substance. Faith is also an evidence, let's talk about this. Faith is an evidence. The reason I have so much faith in Pizza Hut and Amazon is because I've ordered from them before and they've always showed up. I know how it works. Faith is similar. Faith is the evidence that God is faithful. Do you know that we are not the first generation to ever trust God? Do you know that we're not the first generation? In fact, Psalm 90 verse one says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. People have been trusting God for thousands of years. People sitting next to you, maybe in your same pew, have been trusting God for decades. And the faithfulness of God is proven. There is evidence And faith is active confidence in God. In fact, if you're here this morning and you have personally experienced the faithfulness of God, I just want you to raise your hand right in the air right now. If you've personally experienced the faithfulness of God. All right, now keep it up. Everybody look around. Just do a little head spin. I really want you to. Look around at each other. Look around. 
This is the evidence. You can put him down. Faith is a substance, and faith is an evidence. And we can see the evidence in this room. I want you to stand to your feet right now. And I just want to take a minute before I close the service. We're going to sing a song, but can we just give God thanks and praise for the substance and the evidence that we saw? We could take the rest of the month, the rest of the year, talking about the faithfulness of God to you. So let's just thank him. We just clap and praise him. Maybe you'll say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you for the evidence of who you are, God. Thank you that you give us substance. Thank you, Jesus. Now, here's, here's how I'd like to end today. I'd like to read this passage from Hebrews 11. It allows us to catch a glimpse. Today, if we had time, I'd have each of you that raised your hand come up here and say, this is how I've seen the faithfulness of God. But we're going to look at the faithfulness of God from generations and generations ago that has been recorded in the scripture. And I want to read it to you this morning. And I really believe in this moment that some of you are here today, and after hearing this, you want to say, you know what? I want to have more faith. I want more faith. I want God to increase my faith. Lord, increase my faith. And I want to speak faith-filled words to myself. I want to speak faith-filled words to the people in my life. I don't want to be carrying around a bucket of doubt, splashing it all over everybody. I want to have this bucket full of faith so that when things get a little bit hard for me and I get bumped and my circumstances get a little difficult, that the first thing that spills out is, my God is faithful. I don't know how this is going to look, but I trust him. This isn't how I thought my week would go, but he knew. This isn't how I thought my life would look, but God, you're good and you're faithful and I'll wait for you. And I prayed that prayer and you heard me and maybe it's not taking the time I thought, but God, you are working on it because you're more faithful than the Pizza Hut delivery guy every day of the week. And Lord, I trust him. And so I'm just gonna read this and I'm gonna ask you if you would just... um, if you feel comfortable, hold out your hands just in a posture of receiving. You might want to put your hand over your heart. Just, just receiving these words of faith. And then when I end this, we're going to read, excuse me, we're going to sing this song confident just to close this out today. This is from Hebrews 11. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And this is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. And by faith, he was commended as righteous. And when God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, and holy fear built an ark to save his family. And by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, 
who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's son and worshiped as he leaned on top of his staff. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to talk about Gideon or Barak or Samson or Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weaknesses returned to strength and who became powerful in battle and rooted foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect.
scatters our enemies. Your laughter scatters my enemies. You give me joy for my morning. You lift my head so I can see. Just 
Belongs to you. 